Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. This is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And today I've got old friend of mine, one of the best songwriters I've ever met, Leo London. I've had the privilege of knowing this guy for almost 30 years now. We're going to take it all the way back to the beginning. Both of our first time performing music was together, actually. And uh, we're going to go through his great body of work, his group, The Domestics, who have really been gaining popularity in the last couple years, and his brand new solo album that's coming out in April. But it's been a minute. I took a few weeks off from the podcast, and I feel like I've just got to catch up first. So a couple of things. First off, I didn't do an episode because I recorded one for my friend Gradient on his podcast with Brian Stevenson. I also filmed a little cameo in, in Brian's web series. You can look it up on YouTube. It's called Only the Lonely. In the fourth episode, I made an appearance. It's the first time I've ever acted on anything before. That was pretty cool. But I did an episode with them on their new podcast. It's called So You're Calling It That? And they just put up one episode in January. Uh, they shouted out my group Arcane Amalgam in their, their top 10 albums of the year. thought that was cool. And for the second episode, they had me come on as a guest. And it's yet to come out, but should be up any time. So if you want to subscribe to that, so you're calling it that with Thomas Hira and Brian Stevenson. DFS also just dropped a new song. And that's something that I, I really wanted to talk about. Because in the time we've had off, the shooting in Parkland, Florida took place and there's been a lot of discussion about that i'm not trying to uh open a whole can of worms and do a whole episode about that but if you followed my work at all you'll know that uh you know violence is something that always affects me on an emotional level you know i'm a, a staunch pacifist i've written about it many many times from my high school bands all the way till now. Sadly, uh, this, this one moved me to write again. But I will say that I was inspired for a different reason. For example, the DFS song Pulse. That was the first single from the album Squalor. And I guess somewhat coincidentally, this song, Never Again, is the the first song being heard from our next album, which is going to be called Peril. And, um, you know, P Pulse was a big fucking deal. That was like the biggest, I think the biggest shooting uh, in, in recent American history, um, you know, post any sort of uh, native massacres that were perpetrated, you know, hundreds of years ago. But um, in modern society, you know, Pulse was, was crazy. That was a new low. And with this one at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, it's a mouthful, 
that school name. From what I understand, they've taken to calling it Stoneman Douglas. These students who survived, 17 people lost their lives. The remaining students who have survived have been an inspiring group of well-spoken, outspoken voices who are now saying, you know, this could have been avoided if you'd listened any of the other times, you know, all the way back to Columbine, all the way back before that to Thurston High School right here in our community. If you're listening from my neck of the woods in Eugene, Oregon, that happened when I was in middle school, I believe a year prior to Columbine. And so this has been, I mean, that was 20 years ago that it that happened at Thurston High School. That was, that was 98. And still, nothing has changed. If anything, you know, people are trying to uh, make their body counts larger and shit. It's not going away. But these kids, their poise and their courage and their resilience, I mean, they're not up there weeping. They're up there making impassioned speeches, you know, and, and talking face-to-face to politicians, you know. Um, the first thing that I saw was this kid Cameron Caskey on, uh, actually it may have been the second thing that I saw, but that was um, on the CNN town hall. Marco Rubio and uh, a number of people were there. There was an NRA spokeswoman there. And this kid stood up and had the mic in an arena on live TV. I watched the whole like two hour thing. And he looks at Marco Rubio and says, he's like, can you look in my face and in the eyes of all the students beside me and tell us that you're not going to accept another dollar from the NRA? Like the balls on this motherfucker in front of that many people. He called him out to his face. That's some shit that takes balls to do. If you were just in a small room, I feel like, but with the world and everybody watching, he put that motherfucker on notice. And that was awesome. And Emma Gonzalez made this speech on CNN. It may have been the day before or something. It was really close to that time. And I was just blown away by the fire, the, the heart that she put out there. I'm going to read some of what she said. Politicians who sit in their gilded house and Senate seats funded by NRA telling us nothing could have been done to prevent this we call BS. They say tougher gun laws do not decrease gun violence. We call BS. They say a good guy with a gun stops a bad guy with a gun. We call BS. And by this time, the whole crowd that she's saying this to where they're filming is chanting it back with her. They're catching on. They say guns are just tools like knives and are as dangerous as cars. We call BS. They say no laws could have prevented the hundreds of senseless tragedies that have occurred. We call BS that kids don't know what we're talking about, that we're too young to understand how the government works. We call BS. That's what she said, okay? Uh, I'm going to shout out another student there, Delaney Tarr. She said, 
in no uncertain terms, she said, we are not here to be patted on the back, to be told that we're strong, that we're brave. And I'm paraphrasing these things. We're here because you guys have failed us. She said, you have failed us. And so we're having to take this on our shoulders. It's our responsibility now. And if you don't want to listen, well, guess what? We're going to be the next class to vote you out. I mean, these kids are 17, 18 years old. They're, they're calling them out. They're, they're threatening action. And they've got this March for Our Lives coming up on the uh, 24th, I believe, this weekend. Just the, the amount of traction that this has gotten in the past month. I mean, normally, a week later, we're on to the next thing. And these kids have repeatedly said, we're not going to let this go away. That kid Cameron was on real time with Bill Maher, along with another one of his classmates. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, if it's David Hogg or David Hogue or whatever. The two of them were on there with Bill Maher talking about it. And they're like, look, we're not going to go away. We're not going to shut up. We're going to keep on until shit gets changed. You know, and I saw on state level, one thing was already passed where they had to raise the age to 21 from 18. Actually, I believe that happened here. In Florida, they brought up uh, a bill to be heard, to be discussed, and they voted it down in favor of discussing one about how pornography is a general health and safety concern. So in the in the very state that the kids were murdered that same week or whatever, they brought up a gun bill that was thrown out in favor of talking about nipples and dicks being more harmful. Isn't that neat? So I was caught up in all of this. You know, it's a very emotional thing for both sides. The funny thing is I was watching that town hall on CNN and I was thinking these guys like Marco Rubio and those people who are representing the the conservative religious right I feel like they get very defensive because their beliefs put them in opposition with the survivors of these massacres which in turn basically puts them on the side of the murderers. It's one of those, like, if you're not with us, you're against us kind of things. You know, like, if you're arguing against these kids who watch their fucking friends and siblings get murdered, you're right in front of them, you're arguing against them, you're probably going to be a little defensive because you're on the same side as the perpetrators. I'm just saying, like, uh, on a fundamental level, it's got a fuck you up inside make you real defensive when the people you're speaking against are these poor fucking kids it's a thought that's uh occurred to me you know you hear a lot of people on the right say you know with these people who've been turning in their guns there's been this hashtag one less where people are turning in their assault rifles their semi-automatic rifles because they're saying there's no sporting use. You're not allowed to shoot deer with them, and there's no practical way to store them safely and make them easily accessible for an intruder. Um, Really, uh, they're just waiting to get in the wrong hands 
and, and cause some carnage. If that's the state of things, a lot of these gun owners are willing to turn in their weapons, right? And the opposition to this, again, the, the conservative religious right, are saying, this is stupid, you can't just react out of fear, you know, and, and you know, use some, some logic, make a rational decision. Well, at its core, a gun for protection, if that is the reason that you're citing, whether it's to protect your family or, uh, you know, protect from the government, which is just fucking stupid. I mean, we've overthrown entire countries. You think we can't overthrow your fucking household? But uh, at its root, you fear you need the protection. Otherwise, you wouldn't have it. I don't share this feeling. I'm not going to be armed. I'm not saying shoot me. Please don't. That'd be uh, unfortunate. But uh, I'm not willing to take your life. Sorry. Not something I'm into. And if you're telling people that to turn in their guns is an act of fear, I really would suggest that you flip the perspective. I think it's a courageous move for people who have enough fear to buy the guns themselves and to invest in that training and, you know, be a part of that culture on some level to surrender their weapons. I think that's a courageous move. I think it is fearful to about them in the first place. So I wrote this song called Never Again. I named it after their movement, which is what they're calling it. The students have called it. They've said, we want to be the last one, you know. I think that's really admirable. So I wrote this song. I used some of the words that I heard in these speeches. I, this part of the song where I said, see something, say something, we call bullshit. We put a big group shout on that, like the crowd that I saw. But the kids can't say BS on live TV, so we fucking said, we call bullshit, you know. They funded your campaigns. We call bullshit. Said nothing could be done. We call bullshit. Your fucking time has come. And that's kind of an amalgamation of what I heard from these kids. They really moved me. If you'll indulge me, the song's less than a minute and a half. I'm going to play it here. And then we'll get on to the interview with Leo London. But it's something I'm passionate about. Something I, I think needs to change. And if you bought Squalor, you already supported this idea anyway. If you bought, you know, the Illusionist Records, you already supported this idea. If you bought EPD Records, if you bought Sammy Warmhand's Records, these songs are throughout my body of work. But this one is one of the first that has a little more hope because, like Delaney said, we're not getting another pat on the back. We're here to get some shit done. So we just wanted to, Kellen and I, in dead fucking serious, we wanted to just make a statement of solidarity. We're behind you guys. So here's Never Again. Take 
God. All right, that is dead fucking serious. Never again. Now, my first Sammy Warm Hands show of the year. It's been about five months, I think, since I've done a show with solo material. I'm going to be premiering a whole bunch of brand new songs from my upcoming album. It's going to be next Thursday, the 29th, at the Wow Hall with Sage Francis and B. Dolan. It's the Epic Beard Men. They've, they've formed this little group. Uh, they did a couple songs on various mixtapes over the last couple years. And they got a legit album that just came out called Season 1. And they're out on the road. Sage hasn't been here since 2005. I saw him at the McDonald last. 2005. It's been fucking forever. He was one of the first artists that I ever heard that made me think, oh my God. I could do this, you know, in hip-hop. I heard him dropping rhymes about being straight edge and punk rock and Metallica and shit, and I thought, oh, my God, what is this music? You know, and when uh, 9-11 happened, he dropped Makeshift Patriot, and that song was a game-changer. That was the first thing I heard from him. I mean, that was a punk rock anthem in a rap. You know, I couldn't believe his protest music. And and B. Dolan dropped that... uh Fallen House, Sunken City, in 2010 with Alias, and uh, blew my mind as well. So I'm, I'm really honored to be direct support for this show. I'm the only other artist on the bill. I'm, I'm really uh, honored to be part of it, and I hope to see you guys there. That, again, is next Thursday, March 29th at the Wow Hall here in Eugene. And I'll be playing a whole bunch of new stuff, just ripping the mic on all these bar-heavy new tracks. Now... I'm going to turn it over to my friend, Leo London. Please stick around, check out his new track at the end of the show as well. I've got Leo and Tuck Tuck and Puppy Lou. Hey, Puppy Lou. It's a full house. How's it going, man? It's going great. We've had a, a brief moment to catch up, but it's been, I think, nine years since you've been in this place. Yeah. Because I was just thinking about yesterday. I was like, man, okay, when's the last time that uh, we worked on a track here? And, and I think it was the demo version. I had you uh, you play some organs on, um, fuck, what was it? Uh, Stolen Songs? Uh, no, it was after that, but it was around the same time. Yeah. Because, you, yeah, you did Stolen Songs 1, and then I had you play on the demo version of some stuff that, just came out last year oh. on on Daydream. Actually, ended up being re-recorded. But uh, yeah, been a minute. Been a minute. And I think I'm not entirely sure. I could say that it was you or Rick Lyon, but you might be my oldest friend. I think so. Because I mean, we were like three. I think preschool. We were, we were pups. Yeah, yeah. And now yeah. we got pups. Yeah. And man, he is so comfy on you. <laughs> My girlfriend would love this cat. Yeah, he's the best. So I was trying to think about... Well, I guess I should get this out of the way, because I'm going to bring it up. I sent you a video clip recently. Uh, Monty of, Python. Uh, well, yeah, no, no, not that one. <laughs> oh. Not that one. Um, but I was going through old footage... And I found... Oh, the my, Country Kids. Yes. My very first uh, performance ever. Yeah. It was our little fake band. Mm, fake? Fake in what way? Like Nilly Vanilli. Yeah. You, you wouldn't say they're fake, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you had that awesome uh, 
drum kit made out of popcorn tins that Steve built. Yep. And uh, the logo on the bass drum and everything. And I think, I'm not sure, I think that you had already played piano but not drums by that point. Yeah, I, um, and I, I still probably wouldn't say I played drums in that band. <laughs> well, no, 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 you didn't, you didn't. But I'm yeah. saying like, like I could play nursery rhyme single note little thing on that little guitar, yeah. but I couldn't really play guitar. Like none of us could play the instruments we were miming, yeah. you know. And uh, we went out there and fucking played uh, lip sync country songs and talent shows and. Ain't going and, down until the sun comes up, dude. The thing that surprised me when I found that footage was that. And first of all, if anyone's going, what the fuck? I've never heard him talking about this. Yeah, because I've never talked about this because I was embarrassed as shit for a very long time. I'm proud. You know, as like, you know, the punk rock guy was like, no, I did not start with a giant cowboy hat on my head, but I did. Well, we grew up in North Eugene, bro. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Well, and really, that was just like a, I feel like that phase for me was a weird dad thing because my dad bought me my first CD and it was a Garth Brooks CD and it was like I never saw my dad and it was this cool thing and it kind of made me get into it, you know? That's kind of happened to me with the Pixies. Really? Yeah. My dad bought me a Pixies CD and then that was like, you know, something tangible. Yeah, it was a thing you now have in common. Yeah. Um, But the thing that surprised me when I look back into that stuff is that we played so many different places. We didn't just play our one song at the talent show First of all, we did it three years in a row, which was uh, whatever. I think I was 25 by the time I know, we were right? done. <laughs> and then we... Uh, we were we, all like jaded, like been like, oh, this again on. Dude, the last year I fucking we really... hated... I didn't want to... And my mom was like, come on. You, everyone's asking about it. You got to do it. I'm like, maybe the teachers and parents, the kids don't give a fuck. We don't want to do it. <laughs> and uh, we, we played at uh, the grand opening of Burger King over here. Yeah. We played at uh, the fairgrounds at Wheeler Pavilion, that little yep. circular building there. I remember, and, and, and we had like the, the Rock and Road Runners. Yeah, you dancing know. with us. Your my, sister. My sister and Maria. My, my neighbor Maria. Yeah. And we had, uh, we even played at an assembly at a school we didn't go to. We played at Kelly. I have footage of that. Like, we hadn't, we didn't even play a song. <laughs> we didn't like like we didn't have a cover song. Do you think that- we pretended to play one song? It's not like we had an arsenal of songs we pretended to play. We would go to these places just to do the pretend one song. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I wonder if ASCAP ever got their cut of that from the, <laughs> from the Burger King Grand Opening. I know, man. <laughs> but yeah, for the longest time I was embarrassed a bit about that, but it really just shows like I don't know how much I want to put on you guys, but but for me anyway, that I, I wanted to be performing even before I knew how to, to play, you know, I kind of saw myself just, you know, playing music. Yeah. I'm still actually learning the playing part. I'm just, yeah. We're, we're I'm still, still pressing play. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, nowadays you could say that I, I, when I go rap on my solo tours, I just, uh, I, I turn on my laptop and I walk away from it, you know. Sure. Well, and also but, I was saying, and you know, in a lot of professional bands that I play with and stuff, you know, the, there's a lot of backtracks you do live yep. too, you know, and you're playing to a click and just to fill it out a bit, you know, especially yeah. it's so difficult when you're working in rooms that you're not familiar with and not don't always have your own sound guy, you know, somebody's never heard you. It's like, all right, I'm going to mix this. So doing it blind. <laughs> I On my last tour, I had just 
put out that like six minute wildfire that was about the whole neo-Nazi resurgence and the Trump thing and whatever. And um, so it was six minutes of nonstop lyrics. Yeah. There's no breaks or anything. And, I'm, and I, I really rehearsed it so I could not fuck up. And we were playing in Spokane and the sound guy thought it would sound better. And arguably it, it will once the song is finished. But then it was brand new and I hadn't really put in any beat drops you know, to emphasize the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And so he takes it upon himself Ooh. to just ride the mute button on and off while I'm performing. We had no discussion about this. Wow. So when it first happened, going rogue. <laughs> I thought I tripped the cable yeah. or something. Yeah. So I'm rapping and the music cuts out and I turn around to look at the, at the DI box and see if it's still plugged in. Yeah. And then it comes back. I'm like, what the fuck? And so I just kind of went back to the stage and realized like, oh, the this other guy is doing short. it. Well, at least he didn't just do like the rap horn, like do, 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 yeah. do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man. Man. We listened to the radio yesterday in the car. They were doing like, uh, they were doing like a, a stretch just of like Biggie songs. Yeah. But it was like the, the guy was remixing them like... And all he was doing was doing like the 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 horn. Yeah, I was like, the song was perfect before. He, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't need any of that. <laughs> I remember there was this. Uh, me and Cross were really heavily into the American Gangster album by Jay Z, mm-hmm. and there was a a remix of the whole album that was just circulating as some mixtape, and it was really good. Some of the songs were even better than the originals. But it had that annoying thing where the dude who made it, DJ Ski, would yell his voice over every song, like <laughs> at the most random times. And we're like, "Oh god damn!" Classic he make this toaster. awesome beat, and then just like <laughs> DJ Ski, and like, "Oh, stop, stop! <laughs> oh fuck, you ruined it! Damn uh, it! Um, <laughs> shit!" So uh, anyway, I was thinking about those um, the old days and. Um, when did you actually start playing music? Because you started piano really young, right? Yeah. Well, like, we had a piano at my folks' house, and I kind of would just plink on it, you know, either on the black keys or the white keys, because you would kind of be playing in some sort of, you know, scale that yeah, way. made more sense. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, then I started realizing I could play by ear, because I was able to pick out the melody. You remember the movie Benji? Yeah, yeah. The sad. We dog. just saw that at Walmart the other day. I was like, "Oh yeah, it's, it's Leo classic. had a dog named Benji." And we a, watched the movie at his house. So my sister would cry every time she saw this movie, right? right. Because, yeah, like she's a very empathetic person. She loves animals. Yeah, you know. So then I learned how to play it on the piano, so I could make her cry. Oh, no. <laughs> so I feel like I've just been chasing that feeling of <laughs> of moving people to tears <laughs> my <laughs> entire life. <laughs> oh, you got that reaction early on, just as an asshole, and then yeah. from. There on, you were like, oh, yeah, but if I could do it for real. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now I just pre-record it. <laughs> and then I pre-record the tears, too, so it's just none of it's real now. Just going through the motions, trying to capture that, man. Yeah. Chasing the endorphin release. I was listening to some of your records to uh, just kind of go through everything before we sat down. And uh, the last one that I played was, I believe, your first solo record, which I think is not really 
something you consider if it's part what of I'm your thinking, what I'm thinking it is it's probably anymore. not <laughs> but i was listening to the gyroscope yeah. sessions yeah um that's and, that's digging deep yeah well i remember it because we were um we were in seattle me and my band doing the record with eric munch yeah and he was like i just did this record with leo I'm like oh i didn't fucking know that like he played us a couple cuts from it and um when we when we got back to town, I remember going over to your uh, folks' house over there and 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 picking one up from you. This was like around the time I was really starting to write my own songs and not really know what to do with them outside of, you know, we grew up in bands. Yeah, you know, that's all we did. And mm-hmm. um, and so seeing you do that was kind of like, oh shit, like I can just do that myself. Like that's pretty cool. That's what you do and, if you're antisocial. And <laughs> yeah, right. You know, there comes a point where like the people that you grew up with kind of go different ways and then you're like, well, I still want to do this. Like, yeah, I guess I'm just going to figure it out. But uh, even though that, that record is a different style for you, like it's a lot more um, kind of dissonant and... Um, I feel like it's also a bit more square peg like yeah it's kind of i mean like i just i had no idea how to really write songs so i was kind of just it's basically just learning how to do it as you go yeah i mean it's less personal but it also feels like it's bridging the gap between you know like equilibrium and some of the rock stuff you were doing and then coming into the more singer songwriter thing because like you're hammering on the guitar at some parts and it's all live. There's no overdubs or anything. Um, And so it just kind of feels like, uh, like, like a house show. It feels like a living room concert or something, you know, it actually sounds good. You know, so it's not like a, Eric does a really good job. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask by the way, in the credits, it says produced by major in Leo London. Who's major. I can't even remember now. Was that a person or was that just an alias? I mean, it sound it's 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 kind of ringing a bell, like it was supposed to be an inside joke or something like that, and now it's lost. And <laughs> it's been. I know. I'm going to ask you about the record you made 13 years ago. Yeah, Can you yeah, tell it was me? Like 12 years, and you know, 25,000 beers later. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I don't remember what the major thing is. It sounds like a literary reference. So. So, you drop the uh, gyroscope sessions for a while. That was the only one that you pressed up. Well, so there was a learning curve with pressing that record because it, you know, it, I felt like in the months even following it, you know, getting it all done, I'd already figured out how to write songs better, in my opinion. So oh, yeah. I was moving fast from that, and uh, I had no idea how to get a show. You know, I didn't know. I mean, because we came up playing Grange Halls and stuff yeah, we like that. Yeah, we would rent a place and <laughs> yeah. throw them ourselves. You know, so, I mean, that's what I ended up doing is just playing kind of the Grange circuit with, like, you know, the hardcore bands and stuff down in, like, Roseburg and things like that. And I so couldn't Did you play get... with Nate Allen and, uh, like, uh, Self-Proclaimed Narcissist and, like, those oh, guys yeah, down yeah, there? Oh, yeah, 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 totally. I, okay. know, I know Eric. I can and, see that. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's where I met uh, even uh, Brad, who's in the Domestics with me i met him down there with all that he was in this band called clouds they're kind of like blood brothers ish you know okay really cool anyway we had a great scene time. back in the day they were yeah. all different kinds of music super sick the yeah. roseburg kids were tight yeah definitely but yeah so I, I mean so then i just started recording on my own basically for the next 
six years and like self-releasing for like small press stuff or you know just having merch i didn't know how to use the internet yeah <laughs> i was raised by my grandparents we didn't really have a computer until i was about out of the house and i didn't really know what to do i didn't know how to promote things or anything but then i met justin king who became a good friend of mine and produced a couple records for me and uh helped me learn some stuff about a career yeah yeah i mean there's a there's a lot just in that narrow period you had a lot of releases and yeah i think there's um, like 13 records between that never came out like technically really i I just have them that's crazy man i uh so so you you put out gyroscope and you're saying by the time you had it in hand you already were writing better stuff you felt like yeah so how quickly did the next project come out then i mean did you did you just go oh shit i got this but like you know, three months later, I've got this other one, and I'm going to put this one back in the closet. So, funny thing is, some of the songs from Gyroscope, this next record I did, I recorded in Cottage Grove with this guy, Blind Pirate Studios. And I just literally, it was the first thing in the Yellow Pages. Mm-hmm. It starts with a B, you know, and I just called this guy. I was like, I'd like to record a record. <laughs> this is how out of... I had no idea how you do anything. Yeah. You know, now that is a very old sentence. <laughs> I looked up in the phone book. <laughs> yeah. How yeah. to call the record recording place. And <laughs> so I ended up recording this, this, a complete rock and roll record. Which one was that? It was called Rock and Roll Holiday. Okay. Yeah. Did yeah. It ever, I don't know if I ever gave it to anybody. Cause no, but I heard it at your house. Yeah. 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 Because uh, I remember you had kind of a recording set up in the garage, right? Oh, yeah. So that was the demos for that. I ended up doing it. And it was kind of a disaster because the guy was like really controlling and in a weird way. Like I was coming in cold, you know, like just young, dumb and full of cum or whatever. And like he's like he was kept talking about like... uh like he was like some sort of libertarian or something like that, and he's like all hey, young college kids and all your blah blah blah. I'm like, I don't know. It was really bizarre. He used a lot of weird like flangy effects and stuff, and it was such a disaster that I just I decided not to do any studio stuff. It really turned me off. It makes a big difference when, and I, I've told people this time and time again, but finding someone who's like an experienced professional producer is great. But finding one who's actually in tune with your kind of music, yeah, or is way more or important. <laughs> like, yeah, or just somebody that's like stoked or inspired, or like you can make a really great record on shitty equipment, and you know you can make a really shitty record on really nice stuff too. I'm looking this up now. I swear to God, I have. Maybe it's the demo version. J K L. Here we go. Rock and roll holiday. Yeah. Do you have the actual album? There's no track names. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you just Good. came. Maybe you just gave me a CDR or something. It's, but it's... I'm sure it's all I ever was on. Oh yeah, let's not listen to that. No, but that, <laughs> that's, that's it. Is this the real one? This or is the... it. This is this is the one we're talking about. The studio one. Yeah. This. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So I... I played all the instruments and just layered them. I was like, press play, you know, and I just I had basically written all the parts. This is how I how much I didn't know how to do stuff. I was just like I would sit and basically play the album front to back. This is the drum parts and I have that down, you know, then with guitars and stuff like that and then I just basically did it. 
in a loop. That's crazy, man. Forever, did you, I mean, did you play to clicks or did you just? I know? didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't. Pl- I, I don't know if I played to a click. I remember there's a conversation about doing a click, but I'd never done that before. Yeah. And as you know, it takes a little bit of time to get used to click life. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, you know, and I, and I really feel for drummers coming in like, like, oh yeah, we play to a click. And it's like, oh, I'm like, yep, we do. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you spend enough time working on music stuff, it just makes it so much easier. I just learned how to record in the, in the, what, in the box or in the, you know, I, just the other day, I, I learned something on a, a, on a software I've been using for a decade. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was, I was blown away. I was like, why, why have I never done this? And it just didn't, didn't make sense to me. I know people had said it to me in the studio before. And I was just whatever didn't like. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Let's like, go on with the take. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't really care, but <laughs> it was it was neat. I was like, oh, so this is how Vampire Weekend makes all their records. <laughs> you just play, <laughs> you play for five seconds, and then you just copy and paste it for a millennium. Man, that's that shit's crazy <laughs> to me. And and sometimes making a record where you play everything is a huge accomplishment, you know, and it's a big undertaking. And there definitely are times where you're like, "Fuck, can I just loop that? Can I just punch that? Can I, yeah. you know?" Oh, no, I know. Uh, I, I definitely will do it now. I'm not yeah. putting people down. Yeah, I didn't know how to do that. Yeah. So then I, I'm just saying that now I can be pious, you know, because like I've, I didn't do that. So now I feel like it's somehow better. But no, I, I would have done that if I had known how. Yeah, I think on if you listen to like me and Cross's old you know, EPD stuff, we, when we worked with other, you know, engineers who'd be like, oh, we can just fix that, you know, just punch it in. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. But now if you listen to any of those recordings, you can just hear the, like, stark difference in oh. vocal tone or something between, like, you they know, didn't, they didn't, uh, the they verse didn't. and the chorus or something like that. It's like, oh, clearly those lines were recorded at separate times, like, or maybe different days or Is something. Is this a random you vocal know? patch we're going to run you through here? Yeah, totally. <laughs> or, like, come back on a different day. Like, oh, yeah. I don't know about the vocals in this song. We, I think we want to redo it, and the engineer's like, I don't want to hear this song again. How about you just do that little line over there, you know? Okay, yeah, sure. You know, we're <laughs> fucking 15. We don't know, so sure. we just do it. Well, no, now, you know, you take pictures in the studio so you can recall stuff. and Yeah. I mean, some people do. I don't, but well, dude, at, I've seen them do it. At Eric's, when, when we were making um, those, those EPD records in high school, I mean, he had, I forget what they're called, like a call sheet or a, whatever it is, the, the, the dailies where, you know, we would write down all the shit, you mm-hmm. know, and that way, once we got the one song finished, when we go up, to do the next song, we can get the drum set how, you yeah. know, we wanted it on the last one and shit, you know, and like that stuff was really informative, you know, just watching other engineers who seem to know what they're doing, yeah. you know, and kind of absorbing a little bit of that. Well, it's fun because you get to decide whether you uh, learn from it, either if you like the idea and do it, or you can be like, oh, I don't care about that, so yeah. I'm not going to do that. Like, oh, I'm never going to do it like this. Yeah. I'd say I also, you know, the other thing is that, you know, in, in, in five years from now, I'll probably go back on something I think now about it anyway. So. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's part of the, the exciting thing is it's never the same, you yeah. know, you're always tinkering, you know. Yeah. Um, well, and sometimes, I mean, like I, I was doing, I, when, when I was demoing the, uh, the, the last domestics record, I was basically just using tape machines, which I never did. Really? And, uh, and, um. 
you know, and I don't have a feeling about tape being better or anything like that at all, but I was just doing something different for a bit. And, you know, so it was way different making loops with tapes and stuff like that, you know, than, than, I don't know. It was, it was a fun experience. I wouldn't do it again. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, you know, an experiment to, you know, get in a different headspace for that kind of stuff. So when you started picking up, you know, a little more momentum, you're cranking out projects pretty regularly, you know, in these early years, when is it that you felt like, okay, I've kind of got my sound. I mean, I personally, I look at like the self-titled record when you started working with Justin King yeah, as like, you know, kind of the, uh, one of the early milestones of like, oh shit, well, like, it, this is a good record, you oh, know? Well, thank I you. I still listen to that, like, not just because you're on, but like, I still just play it. Like, oh. your grandma will come into my day job or something, and I'll I'm like, oh yeah, I got Leo playing in the background right now. And like, <laughs> check that out, you know? Um, that's just uh, one that never left rotation, man. I think uh, that that was a cool record. I appreciate it. It was one of the one of the most fun ones to record. So the story, the the funny thing about that record though is that there was a record I did right before, uh, which was called Twenty One. It's basically everything that's on that record was recorded in a record that's actually 21 tracks. Oh, okay. And, uh, and I know what you're talking about. Basically, yeah. the greatest hits of that is what me and Justin ended up uh, re-recording that's most right. of those songs. That's and then a couple right. others, you know, thrown in. But it was because uh, me and uh, Brian Wollen, who's our one of my dearest friends, and he uh, he's the domestics um, uh, sound guy. And... Uh, and uh anyway excellent musician and uh and uh and, and engineer so but he was also really young at the time when we did that record i mean i started it when i was like 20 i think and um he was like i wasn't playing in a band with uh with uh with michelle's honor uh from japanese breakfast are you familiar with them Mm-mm. they're doing pretty well right now but uh we were called the tiffany lamps but we split up yeah, and they had offered to record an EP for us because they saw us play, but then I still showed up, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh no, 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 yeah, no, no the no, band's no. gone, but the band's um, gone, but I've got some songs." Here so I, am. I started recording, and then the other guy, John Tim, uh, was also involved in this. He was there for the first day, and then he lost interest immediately. Oh. but Brian was like, "I okay, I can get behind this, whatever." So, and then for a while, me and Brian were just cranking out songs. Right, I think we recorded like. Well, ended up with like 40 songs. Damn. But halfway through it, Brian wasn't working fast enough. So I started breaking into the house during the day <laughs> and teaching myself how to record on the stuff. So I would just be, I was just there all the time in somebody else's house. And that's crazy, was, man. Yeah. So it was very, very, a lot of booze fueled endeavor. But it ended up, I mean, that was just like a, a, I don't know, four months of just going over to this house, basically, whenever I was able to get in. So you just had so many ideas that that it was like you're bursting at the seams. Oh. I have to get this shit on tape and bad ideas too. Like there was a there's a <laughs> there's a song on that for on that on that that one that I I, I was just starting into experimenting with mic placement, and we mm-hmm. had a there was a laundry room that we were using as an isolation booth, as you yeah. do, and uh, he had this really old vintage Fender amp. I turned it up all the way, and then I put the microphone up in the very corner of the room. <laughs> it's just, 
<laughs> sounded terrible. I mean, it was just, but you know, I was like, I was thinking, I was like, I bet no one's ever done this. You know, you're young and you think that every idea you have is one original and two good, which both are probably not true. Yeah. You know, I, dude, I remember taking an early session where those, those washer and dryer right behind the door right there. Yeah. I took the dryer and pushed it into the doorway and put, I don't remember what mic in it and pointed it at the drum kit. Awesome. And it sounds like it sounds awesome to me. It was I mean, terrible, but it, you know, but it was, it was, yeah, but no, the, was trick is, the trick is you do that. You know? So that uh, the trick is now what you do, what they call that, you know, then it's a blend, right? Then you have yeah. like, you actually mic the drums good, but you also have that. And then you can use a part of that sound. Well, yeah. Or, or, you know, you know you're reading magazines and you're trying every little weird thing you find. Yeah. Like, you know, I wired a bookshelf speaker into a <laughs> DI box and put it in front of the kick drum. Cause like, that's how you get the sub kick. You know, they use the NS 10 like that. I'm like, Oh no shit. Really? And it's like, those are not even usable frequencies in the final mix. That's the yeah. shit you roll off when you're yeah. doing yeah. the mastering. So I mean, I will say though, but I, I also have started recording with that. Uh, I'm only using microphones that I buy at Goodwill right now. Yeah, like there's the this the the Goodwill bins there. I found like an old CB mic, and um, I found this other thing off of a uh, some sort of old Fostexy thing. You know, so you get the microphones for like thirty cents, but wow. they have a lot of character. And this one that I found is my new favorite. It was I think I'm gonna actually like have it like mounted on a stand, and I think I'm just gonna make it be the mic. Because it just sounds like, you know, like somebody on a CB radio, which the next domestics record is really about, like, the end of the world and all this kind of stuff. So nice. it's, uh, I, I feel like it's, also, my voice is very low, and it's mm -hmm. like, it rolls out a lot of the low end, you know, because it has such a narrow width of, you know, frequency or whatever. I feel like my voice sounds better on a thinner kind of thing you know i feel like i get questionable results if i use like a you know like the big neumann whatever yeah. getting all of the low end i feel like it takes up so much space in a, in a mix it's gonna sound like i don't know too croony uh, no I, I know what you know? you're talking about like i i think that over the years i stopped trying to sing like high out of my range and started to use more of my natural voice and you know it is lower yeah and uh i tend not to use a ton of eq i like to kind of just get things how i hear them in the room well, so yeah um but like the more that i started cutting off all the bottom in my voice you know and not to the extent that like pop records are made where they're like anything under 300 is garbage you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what that's you know, useless get rid know, of it <laughs> but but really uh making some some more drastic cuts to the to the bottom end it's like oh i can hear myself better <laughs> yeah well i mean that's a it's a trick too like live like um a lot of a lot of guys will be like i need uh, more vocals on the monitor more vocals on the monitor until they start ringing or whatever yeah. you know but the trick is is just cut out 300 because mm -hmm. it's just going to make it muddier, you know, and it's not going to help you out, you know, and, and, and uh, just like little things like that. No one will tell you that. You just have to like accidentally stumble into it someday. Well, you know, I'm just glad that we grew up playing in such shitholes because <laughs> when we go somewhere. Playing ice cream, we feel like gods. Exactly. When you play <laughs> yeah. there and they're like, uh, all right, so we're going to work on your guys' monitor mix. I'm like, 
loud. I don't. What do you, <laughs> I just, as long as I can hear the kick and the snare, then I can keep yeah. time and I'm fine. Yeah, I've, no, I've noticed. You know. I've noticed this same thing, a very similarity between us there. Like when uh, when we're doing monitors, because Michael, my my, my my partner, he's like, I think he has better ears than I do for one, so it might help. But like. Uh, and then it's like, Leo, what do you want? Your, do you want that in your monitor? I'm like, no. And then the next thing is, do you want that in your monitor? No. Do you want it? I was like, do you want anything in your monitor? Just just a little bit of vocal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tilt my guitar amp toward me. It's almost more obnoxious when you get like too much of something else. <laughs> You're like, all you can hear is an organ for the whole set. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I never really... And again, I think it's just because of when you play in a lot of granges and basements and random shitholes like it's weird to me that you would be like standing there in between songs and talking to the mix engineer about your you know your monitors I'm like what yeah are you unable to perform the songs yeah. like get on with it you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> don't be such a prima donna you know yeah and uh i think that really helped me because yeah i'll tour with people who will have a 25 minute sound check you know yeah. or something i'm like all right, I'm going to go set up the merch and um, yeah. eat lunch. Y'all have fun. I'll be back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really appreciate that about, you know, the people that I work with are very professional, take the time and do all that stuff. But, I mean, I just don't feel like I need anything fancy. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> as long as I can hear it, it's cool. Yeah. But, um, all right, so back to uh, Justin King. Yeah. How, how did he enter the fold? Our uh, girlfriends at the time were friends. They worked together and... Um, like his girlfriend was having a birthday party out at his um his folks on the winery out of town and um uh so we went out there and i was in my very like working class phase of my life i was like i don't really want to go to a winery yeah <laughs> it doesn't sound fun and uh, i'd never been you know but being raised by my working class grandparents it didn't seem like something that would be on my radar so we go to this thing i feel like i was kind of a jerk I was definitely a jerk, <laughs> and uh, Justin has told this story to many, many important people. He's introduced me to you just to, just to really make sure I never forget it. <laughs> I'm going to introduce but, you, but I'm going to fuck with you. I'm going to tell you this story. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so I don't know. I said he asked me what kind of music I played, and I like snarkily said, "Really fucking good music." But <laughs> what I will say, but what I will say though is that. I think that he checked it out because he was like, who the fuck is this asshole? Yeah. Because I just felt like everybody else there was like, you know, he's a really accomplished, interesting guy, you yeah. know, and I feel like people love to, you know, massage egos and stuff like that. And I definitely didn't, I had the opposite, you know. Well, and, and think, it worked, you know. Well, and I had no real, I, my, if I had any intention whatsoever, I heard that he had a harpsichord. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I wonder if I could pay him to let me come record on his harpsichord. Okay, so you you knew that he did studio yeah, work. Yeah, I knew. Stuff. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, that just from being you know fairly famous, you know. Anyway, so yeah, but they ended up becoming really good friends, and we worked together for years. I mean, he actually mixed the new record that I'm here to talk about. Oh, sweet. Yeah, I kind of just knew him randomly in in passing when I was selling instruments and stuff. You know. I'd, mm -hmm. uh, Feel, guitar center I, yeah i feel yeah. like i sold him an acoustic or two back in the day and um i believe it yeah and he was he was always a cool guy and then when you guys linked up i was like oh that's interesting and i remember hearing the 
like the re-recorded stuff. I was like, fuck, wow, this is great. And he played the yeah. drums on those records, right? Uh, he played drums on most of the first record, um, the self-titled record. I think I played on like one track that didn't make it, and I think I feel like I played on the last track maybe. But yeah, he did. Uh, we kind of split it up. He played... Um, I want to say he played a little, he played some electric and some acoustic and stuff, you know. But I mean, I'd already know, known most of it. Oh, he did the stand-up bass because he didn't want to have that. He didn't want to watch me try and do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was like, just yeah. teach me the part. I'll figure it out. <laughs> That's cool. So there. Oh, and strings. He did all the cello and stuff on it, too. Oh, nice. He's very good at the cello. Yeah. That's a, a good collaborator to have because, I mean, up, up to that point, you're mostly doing your own shit, mm. you know, from every angle. Yeah. And there you're going, oh, what if we did this instrument that I don't know how to play? Yeah. Yeah. You do. Exactly, you know? <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, it was, you know, that was, and, and and I think that he could tell because having had recorded the record previously, there was a stand-up bass and I definitely played it. Yeah. But you could tell that I definitely played it. You know yeah. what I mean? No, I, I had one for a brief time and I know what you're yeah. talking about. I was like... There are a lot of little extra It's like the difference between like one of those slaps that's stylistic and one of those slaps that's like, my fingers got lost. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, when I bought my upright from Doug Hayden, the first thing I should say, the last thing he said when I was leaving is don't play it all night. I'm like, why? He's like, you're going to get tendonitis. I'm like, no, no. I was like, way. I'll take it easy. He's like, no, seriously, 20 minutes, take a break. 20 minutes. And I'm like, learning how to play, you know, the doonch, 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 you know, yeah. and the Johnny Cash shit. And, and yeah. um, I would just be halfway through a song that was more of that intensity and be like, God damn, I'm feeling the burn. On that shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, it was a different animal for sure. Yeah. It's, it's cool to have someone who, um, you know, play on your strengths, you know, and, yeah. and collaborate with people who can play it better than we can. You yeah. know, like I, I learned that the hard way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. I did that as a source of pride, but maybe now I'm not as proud of it. Yeah. Cause I did it. And I used to be a fairly decent drummer. I would never, I would never, you know, I used to be an entertaining drummer. I'll put it that way. But, <laughs> but, uh, over the years living in apartments and not owning my own kit like yeah. now when i'm demoing stuff out on the drums i'm just like oh god this is so fucking depressing <laughs> like i used to be able to i used to be so i could have been a contender you know it's yeah. like it's just like feel like you just i mean maybe someday i'll have a spot where i can just like practice up again but i mean also why i mean they have machines that can do it well yeah, <laughs> yeah. but i mean but i mean like for I'm the just, sound for demo know? for demo's sake i just mean like i don't mind getting away with it you know and and then because like, working with michael michael's one of the finest drummers i've met you know and then like my buddy kyle who plays in the domestics is an excellent drummer and you know i feel like i could throw a rock and find a better drummer yeah i probably don't need to get good at drums again I also I also like simple drums. I like I like Ringo. I like you know Totally. It's about the feel, yeah, you know. Totally. So And I, I came to that later in life, you know, I used to be really you know, when we're when we're learning to play, you know, and you see like Metallica or something, I'm like, Holy shit, you know, yeah. and then I studied Kirk Hammett solos until I could figure it out, you know, and then like, you watch some crazy ripper drummer, you know, and you're like, How the fuck? you know, and yeah. then, and you get fixated on that, at least I did. And then later in life, it's like, man, 
Ringo does have a great backbeat, you know, or like, man, you listen to Chad Smith. Yeah. Like, that dude plays the simplest shit with the most swing. Like, it, yeah. like he's like a like a drummer from a forgotten era in a modern band, you know? Like, yeah. people don't play like that now, you know? And, and now that's the shit I gravitate toward, yeah. people who just have a really good feel, mm-hmm. you know? And taste, too. I mean, like, you know, people that know how to tune their drums is always nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, that was that was the thing that kept me from liking music as my friends would be getting into, you know, like Doug and Chris would be like, oh, listen to the this uh, this band, they're called the Misfits. And I'd be like, oh, this sounds terrible. I don't... It's a bit... It's a I don't bit. know, you know? <laughs> and, and it would take me a while to warm up to these uh, yeah. records that didn't have any... It's where it seems like they just kind of turned on mics and played, sure. you know, whereas I... Th- I mean, for- I've been listening to Penis Envy by Crass recently. Yeah. It's a very... There's not a lot of bandwidth yeah. <laughs> on those recordings, you know? It all lives right in the mid-range. And there's something charming about it now, but at, at the time I was like, wh- who the fuck, like we make better shit than this. <laughs> We're 14. Yeah. You know? Uh, they, again, the early misfits, I mean, they might've been 14. Too. Yeah. Right. What was that? That first, that first record did like cigarette Static cool age? or like the, it's like the really oh, cough cool. Yeah. Cough cool. Or he's yeah. playing the roads and shit. That's a really cool fucking song. Yeah. I had no idea. I mean, you know, it is also the, the, the different, times the the misfits go through i mean like you know, oh yeah i mean you could be talking about a different band entirely I, I, but exactly i'm still learning about it. i'm i just recently got into them but you know it's just it's interesting i love i love i love going through a catalog though yes i remember like i'd never had a huge ramones phase but then i just went and dropped like 30 bucks at the cd store and bought all their cds yeah. and then i just listened to them chronologically nice you know and it was just like one of the most fun things i did in a long time you know and then like rockets to russia i think is now probably entered my top 50 favorite records of all time you know people hate me for this but i never really i never really liked the ramones it's okay you know it's not um, for everybody but but i'm i'm with you on what you're talking about like you know when you got exposed to a lot of uh classic stuff well before i did um well, you know because like my grandparents mom, exactly like grandparents and like record collections left over from young people during the 70s yeah and and like you know my mom listened to journey and def leppard and so i didn't really pay much attention to you know that sure. stuff and and you know yeah, i was, I was 23 yeah. before i had a beatles album you know yeah. or or a beach boys album or something like that yeah. and then but once I opened that door, I was like, holy shit, you know, and start backtracking and, you know, you stumble on this huge body of work. Like, it's it's fascinating to to watch someone develop like that over the years, you know. And I hope that people are, are watching us do the same. You know, I know some of them are. That's, that's why even when a band that I follow or an artist I follow puts out a couple mm, mediocre projects you know mm-hmm. i'll still keep buying them oh, yeah. because you gotta i want to i want to see where it's going you know yeah. like a lot of a lot of people have well, kind of a creative uh i don't know lull or whatever and yeah and uh and then they make some triumphant shit after that you Look know at and, a motherfucker like tom waits you know like yeah. near the end of the 70s like he was kind of i mean i don't know if i ever made it through like burma shave or any of that stuff but like then he comes back you know 
with his big, I guess it was, I don't know if I'd say it was a comeback, because I don't think it was probably bigger than he ever actually was in the 70s, yeah. but like, you know, that swordfish trombones, you know, it was like a complete, complete retransformation. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, Captain Beefheart in that, but it was still like, it was a totally different kind of thing for what he had been doing and moved in a different direction, you know, and I don't know, it's just, it, I, I just recently got Spotify and came on so that surprises me a little that you would be a spotify guy well i'm not judging you no, but, that's I, but I, hate I, mean, them. I yeah yeah <laughs> i hate them you're well cool. i don't i i only have the free version so i can only like shuffle stuff because i refuse to pay for anything i gotcha. mean i got I, I i actually most of what i'm wearing is free i nice. just i don't buy stuff i mean i did buy my 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 girlfriend a computer because she was using my studio computer for college stuff mm. so then if i wanted to work she needed yeah. to do her homework, and then I was like, okay. Plus, my car just got hit, so I got a check. So, nice. Uh, so, you know, you I'm go. living. I made more money getting run into by other cars than uh, music last year. So, <laughs> living, living we, the dream. We, uh, we had the same uh, tax guy for many years who would, you know, help me write off the losses, you know, yeah. from what we do. And, and yeah. uh, he retired. Mm-hmm. And uh, this other lady took over the company, and last year was the first time we met her. And she looks at me and goes, "Wait, is this f- for real?" And I was like, "Yeah." Uh, she's like, "That's like a five thousand dollar loss, you know that, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And, and she goes, "This isn't sustainable." I was like, "Oh no, no, I started this company in 2005." Like, yeah, I, yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't make marketable music. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is <laughs> this is the state of things. Linda, mind your own business. Just trust us. We just, got this covered. Just enter the fucking numbers. Yeah. I feel bad enough. Yeah, no, I don't but, need help. You know, you, you're reminding me that you know <laughs> uh, this is what I did instead of school. <laughs> I know. I was thinking about you know it's like hey we just we just got a sink the other day. It's like oh what did you make? I was like oh we made like you know a couple thousand dollars. Was like that's great. You know it's like how much in debt are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. You know it's like I think I mean the, you know but. It, we at our last show i was we were play, we just opened for this really cool band called uh, the rubens they're an australian band mm-hmm. and uh really cool guys uh their crowd was a bit sleepy um but uh we were playing and uh, so was, uh, michael's out of town on tour so i'm uh, i'm doing the domestics with just myself and the band right now mm-hmm. to make some money and uh so i'd spent all day getting the merch all good and all this stuff and then you know i was like so we're having a the the chapter 11 bankruptcy sale <laughs> if you want to help us out <laughs> yeah anytime you see a diy artist post like you know 25 percent off t-shirts this week it's yeah. like that dude is trying to pay his rent help him out <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly you know so it's like you know i just i just uh oh i bought it i bought a harpsichord this morning oh you did for two hundred dollars oh wait wait i saw the picture yeah uh, uh yeah because yeah, i noticed i had the reverse keys yeah colored. totally yeah, it's yeah. sick and That's uh right. it needs work but i i work in music stores and stuff i have worked on a harpsichord before so i figure i can flip it you know and make some serious coin on it nice so that was what i i don't remember where i was going oh but then basically that's it you know you hustle on the side you know and then you live your dreams when and it's really nice when you're on tour and you're like in a hotel room and everything's nice and you have fun and you know people are in your music and they compliment you i had a woman tell me once we were in we were in fargo and i was walking 
up the stairs and this woman was walking down the stairs and she just stopped me and she was like your your voice sounds like a bass guitar <laughs> and i was like thanks thank you it sounded like a really nice compliment <laughs> yeah but you know anyway i just remember that happening and you know it was nice but then you know it makes it better when you're like don't have a pot to piss in and you can eat rice and beans for the next two weeks you got to swallow that pill every time you come back from tour. It's like okay, regular life again. Yeah, you know when you go from people cheering your your name to uh, you know working behind a counter or, oh, or yeah. a desk or something. It's like oh yeah, the ultimate humbling every time. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Got a little taste of it. Yeah, yeah I'm back. But. Yeah, yeah. I currently currently my I'm cleaning an apartment complex. It's my, yeah. main, my main job, and then and then you know just whatever hustle I got going on the side. I just realized that uh, this this month I've now been working at the same little shipping store for six years because the owner will cover my shifts when I go on tour. It's it's like six years. Oh my god! But uh, you know, it keeps the lights on. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, you know, you also have a pretty sick fucking place, so that's tight. Yes. Luckily, we've been able to stay in this place forever. Um, not largely because of me, I don't think. <laughs> I'm not I'm not the breadwinner. Yeah, but, I feel uh, like I feel like me and my, my my girlfriend are challenging gender roles. She works two jobs, goes to school full time, and I raise the cat. Dude, Ange did that, <laughs> man, the two jobs and school. Yeah. And it was such a grind and I felt like a piece of crap, man. I kinda cause it's like I was working three days a week. Yeah. You know, and she's working like 80 hours a week, basically, or something. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I was like, yeah, you know, I really just got to put this uh, next record out. Like, for some reason, I, yeah, I don't... I, you get to the that's point. That's my I mean, priority, but... Um, so that's the same way I feel about, you know, it too. It's like, I also feel like the work that you do at 3 a.m., you know, in 2014 may actually pay off in you know 2019 you know what i mean like yeah no, it's like, true it's like, true i'll get i'll get i'll get a call or something being like oh this is this is gonna be in this commercial or something like that so the work that you did do self-indulgently at that yeah. point you know actually did i, I call them future sandwiches you know <laughs> when you're like working on a project and you're like oh no 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 this is a future sandwich this isn't gonna pay anything for a minute but but that is also part of the whole album cycle in general is so depressing because I feel like, you know, you got to keep working and uh, trying to put stuff out, but then you just have to wait, you know, which is much different when you're self-releasing because now I'm entirely self-releasing stuff. So Have you felt the opposite of that at all? Because um, I've been starting to hear this the last few years of, um, you know, you and I, we write a lot of songs, we put out a lot of music, mm-hmm. and... I've had a number of people whisper in my ear, like, man, you should slow down. Like, I haven't, I feel like I'm still getting to know three records ago, the one that I got, and I can't, you know, even keep oh, up. I'm like, slow down. I'm like, yeah, that's cool, but I don't, you know, I kind of doing this for me. They'll catch, up, they'll catch up when you're dead. Don't worry about it. Yeah, right? <laughs> there you go. I'm like, man, he had how many fucking albums? Yeah. All right, so... Um, they're still uncovering Frank Zappa records. I wouldn't worry about it. Right? Yeah. Um, all right, so I want to talk about the domestics, obviously. Um, when did you guys, you and Michael, meet? Um, and I got it. Yeah, so uh, 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 through uh, um, Neil Vosberg, one of my really good friends, um, kind of grew up with Mike, and he was like, guys, 
you guys got to meet. I'm trying to do my best, Neil, right now. He's okay. got a real, he's got a real laid back way of talking, but he, uh, but he's also kind of stoked. So it's like, uh, he's like, you're gonna love this Finn guy. Like he's he's true blue. You're gonna he's he's really good. He's young, but he's really good. And, you know, I was like, okay, whatever. And I was very self indulgent at the time. I was like, uh, whatever. So then I ended up going and hanging out with him for for an afternoon with his with his band he was working on at the time, and kind of proceeded to just get wasted and plink on the piano for a while. But he invited me to come up to Flora, which is a Tucker Martin's studio in Portland. And uh, in exchange for me coming up to play piano on his record, he gave me a day in the studio that oh. I assume he paid for. So I, being the idiot that I was, decided I was going to record an entire record in one day. <laughs> <laughs> so I had all of the things together. Basically just made Live? the like like no with me doing all the instruments oh my god yeah and singing and oh man and that it exists i actually did it really but basically it just became the demos for the first domestics record okay you know and then i think yeah <laughs> but then we became friends we realized that you know we had uh things in common and um and then me and my uh my ex-girlfriend moved up to portland in like 2014 or 15 or something um for the final time i say even though i i lived in eugene last yeah, summer so you've been back yeah, and forth a lot a lot yeah but uh um so uh i don't know he started i didn't have a lot of friends up there at the time or at least not that i'd been like close with in a while so me and michael started hanging out and then we were going to put the band together. We were like, hey, we write songs. We should make a band. We weren't actually going to be the singers of the domestics. We actually were auditioning gals we wanted to oh. have, which is why some of the songs on the first album were from a female perspective is because we assumed that it was going to be a girl singer. But then we never uh, landed on anything before the studio time came up. So I was like... You're gonna be my girl, Michael. <laughs> he got a higher voice, so he he draw he drew the straw. Well, I think you guys, it's rare in a group with two singers to shift in and out so seamlessly. I mean, I've known you my whole life, and there's times where it takes me a second to realize, oh, that's not him. Yeah, like well, uh, the Justin too. Justin said he was uh, when he first heard the first semester. He's like, "Man, your voice sounds great on the first <laughs> track." I was like, "That's because I'm not singing it, buddy. It's not me." <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a guy, times who, where a guy who's been and, listening to me sing in the studio for fucking years, but yeah. you know, it's a bit. I think it's you know, it's. I also didn't realize that my voice didn't drop to where it is now until I was like 25. Like I hmm. I, I I always sang pretty high. You know, and then all of a sudden I got, I think it was actually when I was working on the record in Flora, when I was just trying to do that record in a day and I was trying to hit notes on these songs and I was like, I can't hit any of these notes anymore. Like, why am I doing this to myself? And then, <laughs> then I, I talked to somebody else. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. I was like, this is painful and bad and painful and bad yeah. and just, the, you know, and then like, no, and, then, and then somebody told me, man, I'm like then, writing lower parts, lower then parts. Then somebody told me they're like, your voice dropped an octave. You know that, right? I'm like, it sounds, it still sounds like the same voice I had when I was a kid in my head. Yeah. But if I hear myself on tape, I'm like, oh, you have a very low voice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those things. You know, you just, I've lost my train of thought. But anyway, yeah, that's how me and Michael met and that happened. And how long between 
you doing this rogue full length in a day and you guys actually putting out the domestics album i think well so uh recording it i think it was probably six months to a year we only re- we recorded it in like less than two weeks damn and uh michael tracked it all i mean you know basically press play run to the drum set and we we really? got a we kind of uh did it like two at a time we would just layer things two at a time to give it more of a live feel huh and uh and then so we kind of self-released it and then um michael had been working with the my morning jacket guys and jim james like reposted our first single from it and then like we started getting phone calls from like bigger you know places and stuff and we were like oh okay that's neat, but we aren't a band yet. They were like, hey, yeah, what's the band? We're like, just it's two like, people. We're just two guys. We don't have a band yet. So, you know, so then we started like getting stuff together and we kind of released it and then we ended up re-releasing it with a label and then um, did that for a while and then toured that record. And then, yeah, you guys went far and wide on that, didn't you? Yeah, well, we got to do, we got to do one national tour uh, with, um, with Blitz and Trapper, who are very good friends. And then... Um, and How was that? How was the tour? Oh, it was fantastic. It was like the best worst time of my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was like it was, you know, it was a great adventure. It was very but it's like anything bad that happened kind of did so it was gave it that kind of like odyssey, you know, kind of uh it was an epic. Yeah. You know, and plus it was like the first real big tour. Like we'd done some West Coast stuff. Like I think our biggest tour before that was like a ten day or something like that. But like an actual honest to God sleeping on the floor, you know, wandering around New York late at night tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And <laughs> so, you you hadn't done, correct me if I'm wrong, uh much touring with the the solo band, the Leo London I band. I never yeah, I it was I, mostly I, just regional just regional stuff. Dates. I never I, I think I maybe even only played Portland like four or five times. Okay. In, in the I remember I'd see you at Sam Bonds and that stuff was, like that, but it was usually just kind of one offs. Yeah. Sam Bonds was my like that was I was more like a pub singer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like I didn't I didn't know how to make it a career and not knowing how made me just not do it. Yeah. So I remember I would I would be uh, like sitting at a table with your grandma and your sister and I'm going like this dude is too fucking good you know to be playing <laughs> you know these these little ass shows man I was like uh it it's been cool for me to to watch you as I mean we kind of both have done the same thing but gone off in different directions um in in doing it and every now and then you know we'll kind of check in on each other or whatever but yeah. uh i saw that video shoot for dead fucking serious that was pretty sick oh yeah yeah, yeah. we just popped down to la for the weekend and yeah. back which was a adventure in itself just getting there and back oh, yeah. it was like i love the film flat. from 6 a.m to noon and then drives 14 hours home oh shit you guys drove it yeah damn yeah i was gonna fly and yeah. then uh my buddy has a prius and i was like oh. i was like well if we take your car i can fit a lot more you know camera equipment and sure light stands and shit you know yeah and so we we did it yeah it was yeah but it was cool (laughs) yeah we did a fly day last 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 winter to la and back during particularly bad stretch of winter so it was three days of like hedonistic paradise and then back to the drudgery of winter. yeah it's funny but um but it's been cool to uh 
you know, just to, to to watch. I feel like I have a little bit of an inside track, you know, every now and then we'll send each other some, oh, like, check out my next shit, you know. Um, you you sent me uh, a more experimental um, domestics thing, and I don't know if that became Little Darkness or... Oh, was it like some demos? A while or? ago, yeah, that, that was a much different vibe from the first record. Um, and I, I listen to everything on CD, so if it's not on CD, I haven't really listened to it much, but... Um, but I, yeah, I remember you sending me like a like a private SoundCloud of some um, really different sounding. Oh uh, wait, was it re- was it recently? Uh, no, not the one from like this week, but um, yeah. you know, a year so ago. Oh okay. And I don't remember if that became the second record or 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 what it was, but you guys definitely took a stylistic turn, right? Yeah, I think that like part of it was like um, I think it is interesting. I feel like this keeps going back to like. When we're talking about like being young and uncovering sounds and stuff, like yeah. it was basically like to like Michael been doing working uh, as like a tape op for Tucker, you know. Like I think mostly in the beginning he was getting coffees and stuff, but it was like you're basically given the keys to the kingdom, you know, this amazing studio with all this great old gear and you know like vibes B three Oregon. You is know. that where you made the first one? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And we made the second record there as well. But that was with Tucker producing, which was a okay. very different experience. But um, uh, but it was like we were young and excited. You know, I mean, I wasn't that young. Mike, Mike was probably 22, I think, when we did that record. But I was probably 28. I think I'm quite a bit older than Michael. Yeah. But, um, um, and it was just like we were so excited. The first song we did was... Um, was uh tower blocks and it's it's so fast you know and it, we were just so excited about it though it just felt like everything was just like we're just throwing it down throwing it down i like put i used a 12 string electric i found and i capoed it but i didn't have the right kind of capo so it's kind of buzzy if you like listen i mean <laughs> if you isolate the tracks like not that i don't even know if we have stems for that shit now but like yeah at the time it was just a lot of excitement. So I think the one thing about the new, the 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 latest Domestics record is that it's much more like, also much more demoed. Like mm-hmm. I I have demos for basically entire record, um, you know that and some are quite similar. Like going down the wrong way was basically just a recreation of the demo and with better mics. You know, I, more high quality sounds. I don't know if you feel the same, but once I learned how to record myself, even on a basic level, that pre-production process became essential. Like the moment I have an idea, the moment I put it to tape, like I just do it that quickly yeah. and, you know, you build on it and you listen to it. I mean, there's songs that by the time they make the record, that might be the third or fourth time I've recorded that song. Oh, sure. You know, like... And there's a million ways to record a song too. So sometimes it's fun to like, if you've still got the juices flowing or whatever you can like like i'll like to either try and get two songs a night or something Mm. if i'm started if i haven't started too late or something and i've still got a little bit of fire like sometimes i'll just maybe i'll do an acoustic version of it as well or like my buddy mike saratello is like oh yeah you have your acoustic version and then you have your like pixies version (laughs) generally what you do i'm like okay well fair enough but you know while the iron's hot you can sometimes get extra things but it's great now with the technology that you can have a demo and essentially just drop shit into another daw and you know work off of the old demo yeah i've done that before as well 
I mean, I mean we, like we literally like some of the, uh, and I keep using this song as an example because I think it was the one where we were most frustrated in the studio. The song going down the wrong way because it's like we were chasing the demo, you know, and mm. trying to remember, you know, it just f- didn't feel like it had the same energy, and we kind of just had to keep, you know, going down that path and kind of reinvestigate what we were trying to do. But there was something that Rick Rubin said when. They made the uh, the first record with Johnny Cash, the American mm-hmm. album. He said that, um, and I read about this in the box six. They put out uh, about six of those or something. Uh, well, yeah, there's six American albums, but there's also a box set of B sides. Oh, really? They recorded that much shit. There's like four discs of unreleased from each album. That's tight. Um, yeah, and so <laughs> uh, on the first one, yeah, Rick was talking about how you know these are the demo versions of a lot of it although we got to a point where we were going well this doesn't quite have the same vibe the you know the demo was you know had this certain quality about it so they do it and they do it and they do it and then they didn't quite have it and 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 Rick was like dude if if the demo is the song just put out the demo you know and yeah. they on that first record, you actually put some of the demos on there. Yeah. And I've heard like Linda Perry, uh, talk about that as well as, you know, Linda Perry, uh, she's a producer. Uh, what was her group? Um, Oh wait, wait, is that the girl from four non blondes? Yes. Yeah. She's awesome. Okay. I just didn't know her name. She's a, you know, great songwriter and producer. And, um, I'm beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. She wrote that song. Yeah. yeah, Totally. And that song is the demo take. Oh, it's the scratch take. Like yeah. there was a, a a number of of things that she talked about on like um, VH1 Storytellers with Christina. She had her come out and was talking about like, yeah, she made me use my uh, my scratch take, and it drove me crazy. We <laughs> fought about it, and I stormed out, and it was a whole thing. Yeah. And then when the record was done, it was like. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we didn't need to overdo yeah. it, you know. Well, and it's it's a, two, a double-edged sword too, because there's also like you can get too attached to a demo. Like we were fighting in the studio about um, they wanted to drop my vocal takes from. There's a song on the record called um, uh, "Label Man Email Me Back." It's called "Good Not Great," mm. and uh, and I'm really bad with titles of songs. But um, Tuck and Mike wanted to drop the vocals from the demo into the newly recorded you know thing and i was like i'm i sang that yeah you know at least let me give I'm it standing a shot right here give it a fucking shot i mean like <laughs> like oh no no you're too old now we're gonna we're gonna put you out to pasture you're <laughs> finished with you we mind you for your goods we have them recorded over here that's funny <laughs> yeah yeah oh, hey, i mean there's no about- right way to do it i just i like the I, like I look shit. at everything as a tool, you know, yeah. like my guitar is a tool. The DAW is a tool. You know, the demo process is just a tool. You know, all of it is just, uh, you know, the, the different ingredients in how I'm going to make the best possible song, you know, and yeah. uh, just w- once I once I got that process down to 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 my liking of my find your own routine or mm-hmm. maybe it's different for each record. I probably is, but, um, for me, it just helps to have something to listen to and get to know the song. Cause a lot of times we're not, 
you know, gigging our brand brand new shit over yeah, and over. Yeah, you usually playing the you stuff know. you're pretty done hearing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it's like, well, before you learn all the nuances of the song or whatever, like it's a way to get to know it better and and figure out what you did wrong and what you did right and and just make sure that the final thing is you know not just winging it yeah you know and that you come in knowing exactly what you want to get out of it that helps me anyway yeah i like the demoing process i feel like i'm excited for the next domestics record i basically just demoed out what i think the next domestics record's going to be yeah and uh i think what my me and mike have started doing um is we're just working off the demos and then he's putting in his drums his mm-hmm. vocals you know and then we're deciding what i was too drunk to record you know what <laughs> it's like okay that bass is pretty fucking sloppy we'll put a new bass on it or whatever you know but how do you guys split up the writing then i mean do you do most of it i or? did all the writing on the last record and uh i wrote um i guess eight out of the ten songs on the first one okay um so you mostly will work separately in terms of writing the yeah, song we have and then sat you'll down, collaborate we in the have studio. sat down and written together a little bit and um uh it's just different. I think part of the reason is that like Mike's sitting on like some of the best shit I've ever heard right really? now. And it's like, I don't, he doesn't write as fast as I do. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really prolific. So like, it's hard to, which I don't think is like braggy. I just write a lot. I'm not no. saying it's all good. I'm just saying that it's a lot of it. So it, it's Trust hard. Me, I'm in your shoes. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to be in a group when you're like yeah. a million miles an hour yeah. and the other yeah. People are but, working at a different pace. I get it. So, like, I think Michael's just taking his time getting his shit, like, right where he wants it. And he's like, okay, Leo just already basically wrote another record. We'll put out that record. And I, I'm assuming that, because Michael's long play, you know, like, he, he he's knows, playing chess. I think that yeah. he's like, well, and then, and then <laughs> we're going to do my record. And everything will change, and heads will roll, <laughs> you know. But I think that we have a we have a good relationship about all that stuff. But yeah, <laughs> but you've got a a new solo record coming out. I do. It's been your first in quite a while. Yes, first um, one being released. Well, yeah, it time, sounds yeah. like you've got some other shit up your sleeve. But um, what I mean, when was the last album you released as Leo London? Twenty twelve. Okay, and that was. That was Television Kids. That was the last one you did with Justin, right? The last one, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, been a long time. What was the decision to to put out a record by yourself as opposed to as the domestics at this point? So, uh, I recorded most of this record during Little Darkness, and I just recorded it at in my apartment, and... Uh, Basically, I wasn't ever going to put it out, but the the release didn't go well, and um, Mike's busy, and uh, I don't want to be bored. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's basically been in the can for two years. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah, so it's been, you know, I mean, when I was down here, I guess it was last summer, summer before last, I was in Eugene, and I kind of finished it up here, Justin mixed it. And I finished some of the songs in my grandparents' garage. And um, so it's very, very DIY. It sounds uh, good, though. And it shows. <laughs> no, no, it no, sounds it, good. But I guess in a way, it does remind me of 
that era that you're talking about when you when you two work together. And again, I kind of missed the second domestics record because I haven't got the uh, the physical yet. But um, I know I'm keep keep dogging uh, you on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're gonna be in town? You got one of those? Yeah, I'd say well, I, had I know it. I can't get them. Like I can't just order it. So I I got to be like, yo, you still I have think one of those? You, I think you could, but you don't have to. I'll get you one. Oh it's no, just... but, but I thought before it was only like a, a vinyl. Uh, no, release. we have CDs now. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. I think I was early. I jumped the gun. Yeah, and then I just kept bugging you, assuming that it. No, we have Never we have some boxes of CDs, but the CDs have our old labels name on them, so it's not like I'm pushing them like crazy because we're totally. trying to revamp everything for ourselves. So we did just get a repress of the vinyl, which has the uh, SPLC because we did, um, you know, we donated uh, money, uh, half of you know the profits from that mm-hmm. to the Southern Poverty Law Center. So. In, so did you did you re-release with a new label or by yourself? By ourselves. Okay. But it was yeah. So kind of teaming up with SPLC, but basically just self-releasing. Yeah. Th- through this company called well, we worked with a company called North and um, which is like an ad company in Portland and and uh, STEM, which is just like a new. They're it's like you know, they put it through like iTunes and all that. Oh, kind like of a stuff. Uh, distributor. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So cool. And with this one, um, what do you plan to do the release? Are you going to do the same sort of thing where, um, you know, do the all the digital distribution and hit the road with it? Or yeah, is this going to be... just digital for now. I'm going to, like, just home make the CDs, mm-hmm. draw a picture on it, and be like, it's however much you want to pay, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Initially, I wanted to make it, like, a... Um, donation-based record and i wanted to donate money to like wick and like the needle exchange and stuff but i just felt like if the record i know the record's not going to make any money so what's the fucking point (laughs) you know i'm just putting it out as a passion project so someone suggested that to me once i work with um crush kill in in minnesota and sure and uh i can't remember what record we were talking about and brady was like well you know there's been other artists who release something and you know like they donate a portion to you know their cause and i can't remember which record we were talking about where that was relevant Mm -hmm. he's like you know what would you think about doing it for this one and i was like honestly you know the numbers like we don't sell enough to where that would be anything other than like my vanity putting a well, and I know, think, a and I think that, that was an element of thought process <laughs> that went into it for me too. That I was like, well, I think that you know, at a certain point, if you know it's not actually going to gross anything, and we didn't know how the domestics record was going to go, so we were kind of optimistic, but yeah. it didn't go well. Uh, and uh, so we, um, you know, I was thinking about it for myself. I was like, well, I, would I be doing that for press points? Or would I be doing it because I believe in it? And I'm yeah. like, well. I don't want to have to question myself about that, so I'm just not going to do it. Yeah, I was kind of the same. You know, you know, you're going to be pushing this, doing some solo shows and stuff. Yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna book a tour and and all that. I just, you know, you gonna put together a band or do them solo? Well, I did do a show. So I did a, I did a show recently with, um, with a band, and it went, it went well. Was that um, the Hi-Fi show? No, we did. Um, this was at Ron Tom's in Portland, mm. and I put together a good band, and you know, we worked for like a month. Did a show, and we might work more. But I also, if I go on the road, I want to just go alone because it's so fucking expensive. Yeah. It's just, if you're not getting guarantees, you know, and you're not, I'm not going to have a shitload of merch. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, if you're not not getting guarantees, you're not selling merch, 
you can't afford to take people on the road and then they'll be missing work or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, it's just not rational. And you got to have people that are really committed. If, if they're, if they're playing in a project that's not really theirs yeah, and willing to make those sacrifices. I mean, that's, that's why DFS has gone through three bass players in the last year. <laughs> yeah. You also want to take advantage of people doing that stuff either, you know, because they're your friends and they do it because they are believing it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you want to respect that. And, uh, you know, you just need to make sure that people get paid. And if they're not getting paid, you're not definitely not getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I mean, I would just do it solo and, but I've got some stuff cool. coming up. Do you have a plan for when your video is going to come out? I was I, lucky I, to I preview just, that. I just put out my press release yesterday. So next three weeks, hopefully I land a premiere for it or something. So cool. we'll see. I really like the record. Thank I, you. I got a chance to listen to it once through yesterday I, th- I think i was telling you i'm uh doing this little uh bit part in a friend's project where i have to uh i have to act for the first time and so i had just gone from list- uh, watching all these like sad scenes that i i wanted to get in in my head of like uh you know the way people deliver certain lines and also just like bring myself to a real raw emotional place you know yeah and so i had just done that and i was waiting for the dude to call me and i was like i think i got enough time to listen to this record and so i'm in this really like open you know vulnerable place and i i'm hearing these uh i mean it sounds like a real personal record uh, some it's, real it's real just it, some sad songs really moving uh, maybe i don't have the words but i it made me feel something. I'm I got glad. something out of it, as opposed to just going like, "Oh yeah, that's that's cool, that's well done." It, it, it made me actually feel something. So, I'll, I'll put it to you that way. But thank you. It's a very it's a very personal record. It's all about you know like my young childhood and you know dealing with drug addiction in my family and stuff. And yeah, it's it's a bit aggressively sad, but it's you know it's it's nonfiction. You know, yeah, which is kind of different than i mean like you know i feel like a lot of the domestic stuff is is very honest as well but i feel like it's maybe more of like you know maybe using an emotion you feel in your real life for a different sort of narrative and this is just basically just a a, a factual representation of something that happened you do write in character i or i yeah. don't know if that's the right way to Definitely say that's it, but, what, I, that's but what you, i'd say yeah but you do you do write um using you know other names and places and things like that quite a bit and um yeah i don't know something about this is just it's really stripped down and i don't mean that in like a like it's poorly done or something like that because it, well it, it's, it's the aesthetics intent it's kind of intentional like you know justin when i brought the tapes to him you know uh he was like hey you know i've got this kit here we could like redo the drums and stuff i was like well and this is not pretension or anything like that but it i, I did I, I i intentionally you know i found like the symbols in like the recycling bin at the minden manor in portland mm. like i was like okay let's let's use what we can find you know like old snare drum in, from the basement you know that hasn't been tuned and just i i wanted it to be kind of raw and you know especially going from working you know in the really nice studio yeah with like people setting up mics and and the levels i just kind of wanted to just do something really raw and just like and it was again not necessarily supposed to come out it was just something i was doing as a project for myself to try i don't know maybe cathartic to try and like work through some demons that 
I've never been able to afford therapy, so maybe this is my best shot. So No, I, I get it, man. And I think a lot of times the really personal stuff that we make kind of expecting no one else will hear sometimes becomes the best stuff, you know. Uh, and, and that can be when you remove those barriers that we put up to protect ourselves yeah. you know sometimes pop it's... screens fuck pop screens <laughs> <laughs> yeah no but when you um come at it just for yourself and put zero thought into what anyone's gonna think of it because you know you're just in the moment a lot of times i found those ones i'm scared to put out there but i get the biggest return when i do emotionally like yeah people, you know, when I see people respond to that, I'm like, wow, really? This one? Man, you know, that's I'm great. A, I'm excited to see what happens. I've, I've, I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah, yeah. I use that phrase myself. <laughs> um, so tell me about the title of the record. Oh, Needle Exchange in the Stars. Yeah. Um, I guess that's it. that's one of the songs on the album, and it's kind of like watching somebody just continually try and die or something you know what i mean like getting to that point of just like complete obliteration you know i thought it sound it sounded kind of poetic i guess yeah maybe i feel like it borrows a little bit from there's that that truman capote book uh, breakfast at tiffany's there's that there's the song in it like uh in the pastures of the sky and they ended up you know writing that song uh blue uh moon river you know, based off of that song, you know, in the book. I don't, I don't think it has an actual melody, but it's like, you know, when I die, I'm going to the pastures in the sky or something like yeah. that. You know, so it's like this idea that like, you know, there's there's something beyond all of this, you know, so it's also such a depressing situation. It's, it's gallows humor or something, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could say it's a little morbid, but to, to me, it was a powerful image just in, yeah. you know, we both have family tree of... of addiction you know and, and yeah. uh uh yeah when i listened to that song uh it, i like rewound it for a second I'm like whoa what did he just say and um because <laughs> i wasn't looking at the track titles it was it sure was just playing and um yeah it just struck me as a very visual line well i mean it's like it's a and it was very specific you know when you're watching somebody like in a in a the hospital setting and that's what i was really so the recording was really interesting because i was trying to uh I had an old um, um, uh, squeeze box that I was just, without engaging the keys to make that breathing sound, that sounds mm. kind of like an iron lung yeah. or something. And then, like, a uh, little, like, uh, I, I actually took my grandma's microwave into the studio <laughs> and just started pressing the buttons. That's what that try- was? Yeah. Shit. Yeah. And then also there's, uh, I did I did find, I think there's also, like, uh, uh, something I ripped from a Mega Man uh, video game in there as well, but just a couple of weird BB sound effects to to make it sound like you know if you've been in a hospital, you know, you yeah, know it's like there's all those weird sounds around you and stuff. So, well, I was going to ask you not just about that song, but also in the single, I feel like there's two or three songs where you're using samples, yeah. which I hadn't really heard in your uh, solo stuff yeah. before. Yeah, um, you'll have to. Uh, there's some on the domestic stuff too. I really got into it. Right at the tail end of the first Domestics record, I was listening to a lot of like um, Primal Scream and stuff, and mm-hmm. I was getting into the idea of using a lot more tape loops and things like that. And and uh, so the uh, I went to Walmart and I just recorded 
all of the children's toys on my cell phone. Yeah. And then I just dropped them into the recording interface thing or the uh, DAWs or whatever. And, uh, um, and uh, just kind of moved them around and, and added like, especially the songs about that song, Learn to Sleep Alone is about, you know, I don't, I know I was neglected like in my infancy. So like, I feel like it led to a lot of sleep issues as an adult, you know, and there's just certain things that self-soothing mechanisms that you have to develop, you know, in that sort of situation. And, uh, you know, in certain childhood traumas that don't really go away and you can't really do anything about it. It's just, that's the way I live my life with depression and anxiety, you know, just like a lot of other people. Yeah. Like, it's just sometimes your life just hurts and, you know. Well, and using those sounds of innocence or whatever of that era, it it just makes it the contrast in those like haunting melodies. And then the like, yeah, he's got, "Ah, you You know, whatever he's saying, he's got a needle in his neck. Can you guess who I am? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like that. I was like, Oh man, this is like, I love you. I love you. You know, it's like, but it's, you know, it's like, so it's like this, this idea of like comfort coming from something. Well, have you seen the video? Yeah, I watched the video. Yeah. Remember, I was like, "Oh, that poor little guy, yeah. the, the little yeah. test monkey." So, like, yeah, exactly. So, my 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 girlfriend had shown me these this video. She was really into um uh, uh into this you know study. I mean, like, not in like a positive way because it's horrifying. But like, I was like, "Oh yeah," like attributing you know like some sort of like emotional feeling towards inanimate or something kind of things you know because you don't have that you know within yourself. Yeah, for for those who don't know what we're talking about, the the visual for this is uh it looks like real footage of like a test done on an infant monkey. Oh, it is a real test. Yeah, yeah. and where they pop up these little scary looking faces in this room and he will go and cling on to some inanimate thing that he feels like is safe. Yeah. Well, um, that was the it, it was a study done in like the 50s and this guy ended up being actually just like he went it got worse from there essentially and he was like probably don't even want to know that would make me so sad yeah it's very depressing but i mean it's also like i mean i I hope everybody knows that i'm pro animal (laughs) yeah it's not like it's not like a you know but i just feel like the footage exists you know and it's like it 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 has a very emotional response especially if you've been abandoned as a child you know you just you know that feeling (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it it's a perfect metaphor f- for it, and the fact that you're using toy sounds when they have these weird, almost you know, island of makeshift toys looking yeah, things popping it does. up. It does. It has a very you know, the, like, the, the, what is um, it? The island of misfit toys. Yeah, is that yeah the misfit reference? toys. Yeah, yeah, there you go, yeah. yeah that's good. Um, you know, it, it has that kind of quality to it, and so I think the they they play really well together. But yeah, I just I was watching. I was like, oh, I just want to hug him and take him out of that fucking scary place. You know, like yeah, and. Uh, that's what you want for the song too, you know. Yeah, it's like uh, you want to. Like well, want to just pluck you out of there, you know. Like I used to like roll like I'd I'd be such a restless sleeper. I used to have to have bars on both sides of the bed because I'd always end up on the floor. Yeah, it's great. I can't believe that I can be in a relationship and sleep next to somebody. I yeah. mean, like I didn't know that would ever be in the cards for me. <laughs> so yeah. I'm really glad that. But that's the other thing, you know. It's I think that self soothing is, you know you have to like take responsibility for that in the sense that it wasn't your fault, but you have to learn how to move on. 
you yeah. know, in some way. So I think, I think saying it out loud, I feel like I got to take back some of my power in the situation. I don't know. Again, not a psychotherapist, <laughs> hardly graduated high school. What can I say? <laughs> no, man, I, I, I get it. But sometimes just writing it out there feels like a weight off your shoulders. And, and, um, uh, I mean, you seem like you're in a good place lately, uh, like we were talking about outside yeah. and, and, yeah, I'm, my life's great. My my mental health is just always going to suffer. You know, sure. you just have to deal with it. What are you going to do? Yeah. I have a great life. Well, congrats on the record. Um, when can people expect to hear it? Uh, it'll be out April sixth. Um, hopefully, we'll get a premiere or something. Maybe an announcement from some outlet. Fingers crossed. Maybe nothing. You know, but I've just want to do something. Cool. Well, I'll get a I'll get a track from you. We'll play it here at the end of the show. Oh, cool. And uh, that way people can get a little taste to the single. And um, yeah, have something to look forward to. Yeah. Thanks for doing the show, man. Yeah. Thanks for dude. We're old buds. All right, that is our show. Once again, if you dig it, please share with a friend. Subscribe to it. Give me a, a positive review and a rating on iTunes. Anything like that help uh, spread the word about it. Check out Leo London and the Domestics. Seriously, if you're a fan of you know, singer-songwriters, of, of Brian Wilson, of Neutral Milk Hotel, of Beatles, I mean, you're going to love it. I'm going to play you out with his new single. It's called I've Learned to Sleep Alone. How are you? It's the ticking of the clock. For the baby in the box The monitor will blaze If the pulse begins to sink Or if the heart begins to fail We'll call the doctor if he's pale I learned to sleep alone Because I learned to sleep alone We should all be friends Let me write down your address He's got a needle in his neck Between the toes you'll never guess He's past a urinary test We'll draw him Yes.
Leave alone.